Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, Season 5, Episode 101, recorded Monday, January 2nd, 2023. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Well, hello again, everyone, and a very happy new year to you all. Thanks for tuning in to this latest episode of Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Centropino. Well, it is 2023, and yes, this kicks off Season 5 of Scuba Shack Radio. Now, it's certainly been an incredible journey so far, and I hope that I'll be able to continue to add my voice to the world of scuba diving through this podcast. Now, with the new season, you might have noticed a change in the opening. I updated the music with something that I recorded last year, and I'm going to use it throughout the podcast as I move between segments. Hope you like it. Now, as I mentioned in my retrospect of last time, when I started Scuba Shack Radio, I said that I wasn't going to be controversial. But going into Season 5, I thought I might change that position. Well, I did get some feedback from one of my listeners out there. Dallas sent me a message on Facebook saying, please, please be more controversial as it's necessary to get the point across. And I couldn't agree more with you, Dallas. And I'm going to keep that in mind as I move forward with the new season. Thanks, Dallas, for the feedback. So one of the changes that I'm going to make is to wet notes. Now, I started this segment as a news and information update. Well, it's going to still have news and information updates, but I'm going to also expand it to include a little commentary. I'm going to do a little editorializing. Now, I'll also dive more deeply into some topics that I'm passionate about down the road. But some things, however, will stay the same. Like Sea Hunt, it's still alive. And today, I'm going to take you back to Season 4 for the Destroyers. But up first, to kick off Season 5 of Scuba Shack Radio, is Wet Notes with some latest news, information, and commentary. This is Wet Notes here on Scuba Shack Radio for Monday, January 2nd, 2023. First up today, do you want to own a dive shop? Well, how about living on Maui? Well, there was a short article uh, in a recent edition of Dive Newswire that uh, said Scuba Shack Maui is for sale. Now, there are a lot of dive shops around uh, the world that call themselves Scuba Shack, like us. But here's an interesting tidbit. Back when we were first setting up our website, we tried to get the scubashack.com domain. Well, Scuba Shack Maui beat us to it by a couple of days. So we settled on scubashackct.com. But now Captain Charlie Neal is selling the operation 
that's uh, touted as the longest running owner, uh, longest running owner operated scuba business on Maui. Now it's a turnkey sale, and that includes the store, warehouse, compressor, trucks, and permit. And they also include is their 800 horsepower boat, the double scoop. They call it a jet boat. Now, I've been to Scuba Shack on Maui, and it's located in the Kihei section, which is considered South Maui. So if you really want to own a dive shop and live on Maui, this could be your opportunity. Now, for those who have listened to the show in the past, you'll know that we really had some great times diving down at Dutch Springs in Bethlehem, PA. And since it closed in 2022, I tried to keep you updated on what was happening to that old limestone quarry. Well, it is being rebranded as Lake Hydra and will be open eventually for scuba diving training and certifications. Now, the plan was that they were going to open up this new Lake Hydra uh, in April of 2023. And it was going to be with uh, instructors and professionals and dive shops bringing people in. So we decided we would like pencil a trip in there to, uh, in June. So I reached out to them just before the New Year's to find out if there was any more information on how we might schedule that trip. Well, I got a response back from Ken Kraft that there have been construction delays and that the April opening is probably not going to happen. He is hopeful that by June, they'll have at least half of Lake Hydra open for diving. I'm not sure what that means. But Ken said that they are still trying to get some of the updated information out there by February. Well, I sure hope things go well. We really missed uh, Dutch Springs and diving down in Pennsylvania, and we're looking forward to supporting Lake Hydra. Now, right before Christmas, I got an email from Tom Ingram, who is the president of the Diving Equipment Marketing Association, and he was asking me if I could reach out to one of our local congressional representatives here in in Connecticut regarding uh, the defense spending bill. Well, what's that got to do with scuba diving? Well, um, in the bill, there was an added act to that bill called the Small Passenger Liability Fairness Act. And that came about because of the Concepcion dive boat tragedy that happened uh, a couple years ago. You see, this act would uh, update the 1851 Limits of Liability Act, and that limited liability of owners to the value of the remains of the vessel. Well, the Concepcion was a total loss, no value. Now, DEMA's position is that there was not a comprehensive study done on the economic impacts of this, and specifically, there was also certainly that liability insurance for small boat operators is going to go through the roof. It's going to increase astronomically. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. Certainly, negligence needs to be addressed when somebody is seriously injured or there's deaths. But... When you add an act like this to a critical $858 billion defense spending bill, I don't think they're properly debated. In any event, President Biden signed a defense spending bill, and it looks like the Small Passenger Liability Fairness Act is now law of the land. And we're going to have to wait and see how it dramatically impacts the scuba diving boat operators out there. Stand by. 
I find out any more from Tom, I'll keep you in the loop. Now, when it gets cold in Florida, it's not just the residents who head to someplace warm. The manatees also seek some warmer water. In fact, they say that the manatees will seek warmth over feeding. But there is some good news from the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. They do have at least one feeding station at one of the warm water spots in Cape Canaveral. Over Christmas, the temperatures in Florida dropped into the 30s. That's pretty cold for them. Not bad for us here in New England, but frigid for the South. So the manatees congregated at the Cape Canaveral warming location, and they were fed lettuce. Now, this is uh, the only feeding spot in Florida. Hopefully, they'll have more to follow. According to FWC, the manatees are doing a little better than last year. In 2021, there were 1,080 deaths, and in 2022, the number is down to 783. Now, FWC is gearing up for uh, January, which is the peak cold season, and they're uh, standing by to help rescue or rehab any struggling manatees. So, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I'm going to expand wet notes to include some commentary. Now, these are just some of my thoughts. Maybe they'll solicit some feedback, and maybe you'll passionately disagree with me, or maybe you'll agree with something I've said. Let's see. So, my first commentary here on sweat notes is going to be about one of the reasons why I think Northeast diving is declining. Some people may not think it's declining, but I do. Now, there are a number of reasons. Changing demographics, lack of dive boats, lack of access to dive spots, like we can't scuba dive from boat ramps in Connecticut. But I'm going to also up, offer up another element for your consideration. The dry suit. Whoa, how can that be? Certainly, a dry suit allows you to have a longer dive season, even year-round. Yeah, that's true. But we are in the business of training new scuba divers, and they're already making a significant investment in their basic gear, their electronic learning, and their certification training tuition. We then put them in a 7-millimeter wetsuit for the ocean dives, while all of us are snug and warm in our dry suits. And we tell them we're warm and dry, while they are wet, and let's face it, they do get cold. We have already put in their mind that you need a very expensive dry suit to dive here in the Northeast. So what happens? They don't dive here in the Northeast. Really, they don't maybe have the opportunity to travel for diving, and they fall away from that investment that they just made to become a scuba diver. Now, I'd like to get some statistics on 7mm wetsuit sales from the industry. Anecdotally, I've heard they have fallen off, and here at the shop, we don't see a lot of interest. It's the curse of our dry suits. Here in the Northeast, I wear my dry suit year-round. I don't want to dive wet. But by stressing the dry suit, am I unconsciously hurting the passion and proliferation of Northeast diving. What do you think? I'd be interested in hearing what others might have to say about this. Well, that's it for this installment of Wet Notes here on Scuba Shack Radio. 
time for another installment of Sea Hunt. It's still alive here on Scooby Shack Radio. And this time I'm going to take you back to Season 4, Episode 3, titled The Destroyers. Now, The Destroyers premiered on January 21st, 1961. This episode opens up with Mike on board a Coast Guard rescue cutter commanded by Lieutenant Dave Tully. Now, they're just off San Clemente Island investigating a major disaster. Two U.S. Navy destroyers have collided. Mike describes it as the worst cut-up since the war. Just then, Mike spots a survivor in the water. He's in trouble. Mike grabs his fins and masks, jumps in, and saves the man from the tangled wires pulling him underwater. Now back on board, the survivor tells Dave and Mike that it was the radar. Something went wrong with the radar. It was jammed with all sorts of interference blips. The scene then shifts to a large building, where, which is the Navy Board of Inquiry, and they've just judged that Commander Ben White, the captain of the destroyer that hit the other one, is at fault. We then see Mike and Dave on the dock. Mike's in his Coast Guard auxiliary uniform. I think he's a lieutenant commander. Now, Dave can't believe that Ben is at fault. Commander White then comes into the picture. He's accepting his fate. But Mike has another option. He's going to do an underwater search of the site to see if there was anything that could have caused the problem. Commander White just happens to have a chart in his pocket at a collision site. Now, that's pretty fortuitous. We are now back underwater at the collision site. Mike's in his doubles, and he's got a metal detector. Unfortunately, he's picking up so much stuff from all the battle wagons that drop things over the side. He's running low on air, but figures he could give it 10 more minutes. Even though he's covered an acre of underwater real estate, he's come up dry. Just then, he spots an old marine boiler. It's the size of a bungalow with a manhole on top. He drops inside and quickly realizes that this is more than a motel for fish. It's filled with electronic equipment, all wrapped up to be waterproof. As Mike is fiddling with the gear, he discovers it's booby-trapped, and he sets it off. It starts ticking. He grabs it, takes it out of the boiler, and drops it on the bottom as he races for the surface. As he gets to the surface, he's pulled on board the CG4045 whaleboat just before the explosion. Another close call. It's now time to go back and check out the gear inside the boiler. This time, Doc Martin, an experienced diver and electronic expert, is with Mike. They go inside and run some tests on the equipment. I think they got their answer. Yes, it's there to generate high-frequency emissions and jam radar. Question is, who did it and where are they? Doc says they could be anywhere. It's remotely operated and signals back to the saboteurs when it's working. So Mike, Dave, and Doc decide to set up an ambush. They're going to disable the transmitter, and when the bad guys realize it isn't working, they're going to come and give them some trouble. Mike and Doc head back down to the boiler, and they liberate the radio set and bring it topside. Now they must sit and wait for the bad guys to realize their jamming system isn't working and come to check it out. 
As Mike and Dave are sitting at the electronic monitoring station on the Folksville, Dave brings them some coffee, and the three guys joke about it being boiler ink or battery acid. I know from my time in the Navy, the coffee can be really bad. It's already been two hours since they pulled the transmitter, and no sign of the bad guys. Dave says they may have to wait two days. But just then, a coded signal starts coming in over the speaker. They listen intently. Mike tells us that it's an unhappy signal since they didn't get an answer. That's the whistle that starts the ball game. And Mike heads below. The Coast Guard cutter moves just off the horizon so as not to scare off the saboteurs. Mike is down near the boiler on the lookout for the bad guys. He is conserving his air. The plan is for Mike to release a surface marker with an electronic signal on it to call in the cavalry when the bad guys show up. As he waits, he spots two divers coming at him with power scooters. They're porta subs. It's time to release the buoy, but too late. One of the divers punctures the buoy and it sinks to the bottom. Mike doesn't have time to release the smoke bomb and call Dave to the rescue. He's got to think fast. He dodges one scooter and kicks the other, then races for some coral to hide in. Mike has a fantastic fin kick as he outruns the scooters and hides in the coral. Unfortunately, they know the terrain, and he has dim hope. On the surface, Dave is pulling the string. He isn't waiting any longer and orders the cutter to head to the dive site. That's a good thing. The bad divers split up. One goes after Mike while the other hangs back. Mike has to make his mood and, and evade the first bad diver. But the other bad diver has a knife, so Mike improvises. He uses his fin to break off a piece of razor-sharp elkhorn coral, then proceeds to disarm Scooter Boy 1 and shred his air hose with the coral. Now it's time to take on Scooter Boy 2. Mike uses the porta sub to fool the other diver into thinking it's, uh, it's his accomplice. He hits him fast in the stomach with the porta sub, pulls out the regulator, and holds a knife to his throat as they head to the surface. On the surface, Mike is finally able to release the smoke bomb. Dave spots it, and then he comes in to pick them up. Nice work, says Dave, and Doc wants to know if the equipment is all right. Mike tells him it's all good. The only thing he wants right now is a nice hot shower. Dave points to the fishing boat off in the distance and said that's where the divers came from. But we never really know who they are or why they did what they did. Maybe we'll find out in a future episode. Well, I had to cringe when Mike stomped on that beautiful Alcorn coral. Way back in 1961, I guess they couldn't imagine that corals would be so critically endangered. It was a whole different world. Well, that wraps up episode 101 and kicks off season 5 of Scuba Shack Radio. Once again, thanks for listening 
and I'll be back again in a couple of weeks with more. Until then, Happy New Year, everyone. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast supporting our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time.